Welcome to Bold Steps and Misses, presented by Hot Paper Lantern. In this series, we shine a light on bold ideas that accelerate businesses and misses to avoid. Sarah Whitman, Chief People Officer at Hot Paper Lantern, recently sat down with Bouchon Sethi, Joint Global Leader of People and Organization at PwC. In this episode, Sarah and Bouchon discuss the many challenges facing business leaders, communicators, and employees today, and dig into trust, authenticity, social issues, and more. I'm Sarah Linick, and this is Bold Steps and Misses. Hi, Bouchon. Thank you for being here with me. How are you doing? Great. Great to be back with you, Sarah. I know that's my first question, so we're going to just jump right in. Uh, The last time we spoke was in the midst of the pandemic, maybe two years ago now. And I'm really curious from your perspective, what has changed about then to now? Well, what's changed, thankfully, is a lot more people are out traveling um, for social reasons, for business reasons. Um, We obviously have lots of challenges going on economically, geopolitically, um, socially, which we'll we'll talk about. But, you know, as business people, I think we're very, you know, many of us are quite blessed in terms of getting through this. And um, we're on to like the next challenges we all have. I couldn't agree with you more. The energy and the vibrancy, uh, no matter where you are, always in New York, but no matter where you are, it feels really good to have that optimism and positive energy around us, despite the challenges that are going on. Absolutely. You mentioned something about return to office. And so let's just get that one out of the way and talk about it. It's over talked about, but it's highly relevant because so many companies are grappling with what to do and employees have very different opinions about it. Yeah, it's it's deeply personal to individuals. Um, whenever you have a discussion with an individual about where they are working and how they are working, um, it gets very personal to things about my agency, my sense of flexibility, um, you not understanding my caregiving responsibilities. I don't want to take that commute. Um, you know, we're not listening to our employees. And then on the other hand, businesses are saying, we want that human connection. We want you to come in. We want to kind of create a sense of um, kind of social experience. We want that with our younger people. We want that with many people. And so there's this there's this terrible polarizing discussion that's been happening that, was, that gets played out in organizations really around much of the developed world, but especially in the US and places like the UK and, the, and Australia, where if only we would listen more and just have more trust amongst kind of leaders and employees to say, this is this is kind of our stance around kind of office-based or hybrid or or more fully remote. This is how we're going to engage. This is what work gets done in the office, et cetera. By and large, we want to give people choices if we can. But the more that we can just have open, transparent dialogue um, in very kind of straight talk, um, two and a half years in, it's very sad that we can't. Um, but I think this time conversation is still going to go on for the next six to 12 months. And we're still going to be in a stage of experiments. And we're still going to be in a polarizing area with with leaders maybe still wanting people to come in um, more than than employees want to. And we will see some headcount reductions in certain firms, no doubt. Um, and this might be pointed to. This might be pointed to to say, are we actually being unfair on people who are hybrid or more remote? And so organizations, leaders have to be very transparent and have to be prepared to, you know, have conversations about how they're making those decisions and manage their reputations. Because if those organizations have said, 
We want to be inclusive. We want to give people flexibility and choice. And they are making headcount decisions on people who are primarily remote or less office-based. That sounds kind of very contradictory. So lots there for organizations to um, and employees to kind of think through. Absolutely. There's so much that you said in there that I would love to dig into. But one of the things that came to mind for me is how start and stop the return to office has been. And I'm curious from your perspective, what mistakes do you feel companies have made with this effort? Really good question. Um, I think one of the one of the pieces at the start of the crisis, we were so good in terms of our transparency. Many organizations made a commitment even before stimulus to no layoffs. And there was there was a huge sense of trust. There was trust in our political system. There was trust at the local and, and the federal level. There was trust in organizations. As things have gone on, we've allowed as business leaders the return to office to become a polarizing topic um, in society and in workplaces. Um, so leaning in more to say, this is how we are going to make decisions. At some point, we might want people back in the office. That might, you know, we thought that was September 21. We thought that was September 22. We might still think it's September 23. So I think the, the message is that we, we just need to kind of lean in and say, be much more transparent around how we're making decisions, um, where, where businesses can give people much more choice, um, kind of forcing people to come in on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and having them miserable and having them on kind of video conferencing calls doesn't improve anyone's employee experience. So just being really transparent, um, giving people choice where your business can afford it. But then also the transparency comes two way. You, You've got to be transparent. If you say we want to be office based and we believe it's really important for people to come into the office from a mental health perspective, from a building social skills early in their career perspective, building good client relationship skills and building empathy with the community, say it. And and if you're fearful that people are going to leave because some people want more flexibility, well, maybe those people aren't kind of right for your culture. So I think we can learn the lessons of transparency, but transparency is a two way street and and maybe it's telling people even things that that they may not want to hear and may may afford, may get you to lose people who want to be permanently remote. And also, the more that we can manage the divisiveness around it and actually have discussions on it, it has become a social issue in the same way as we talk about, you know, war, where we talk about safety in schools, we talk about kind of immigration, like this has become a social issue. Everyone has an opinion on it. And Engaging discussion amongst different cohorts in your company is probably also a good thing from a comms perspective. I'm really glad that you brought that up. When you were talking about the return to office conversation being a polarizing conversation, I'm thinking, man, if this is polarizing, how are we dealing with the really hard stuff? And I think in many ways, we're not, we're not, we're looking as organizations to not talk about it, not everyone, but looking for ways to say, oh, no, no, that's not, we're not going to talk about this, this isn't our job. But you have some really interesting things to say about the positive benefits of having difficult conversations at work and bringing social issues into that conversation. Tell me about that. Yeah, we did some research uh, globally, 52,000 workers, 44 countries, where we actually asked questions to say, Who's actually having discussions on social issues? Because there have been so many in the last few years, from war to abortion to, to safety to 
geopolitics and people are talking about them. And even before the pandemic, people talked about things that were deeply personal to them that impacted their productivity and their engagement at work, whether you're a virtual worker or in the office. And so we asked the question and two thirds of the 52,000 people are having conversations at work about these topics and by and large having a positive experience. And when we scan the data, ethnic minorities or underrepresented minorities in the US had a better experience because they were kind of sharing some perspectives and younger people, Generation Z, so those between 18 to 25, also saw the benefits. Now, some people did see some negative consequences, but by and large, the positive outweighed the, the negative. So what our advice to, to companies is, to the extent you can um, acknowledge that these are important things that are deeply personal and impact people, um, get say work is a safe space. You can be your authentic self. You can talk about these issues that are that are bothering you. We've still got to get the work done, but but making people give feel that they have a voice at work without people changing their opinions and and having debates is a very human proposition. And we need more human propositions in the workplace today. We need more humane leadership. We need colleagues who are going to empathize and listen, even if we have different opinions on certain topics. And so, I mean, that's what I would encourage leaders um, and communications professionals to do, to say, Acknowledge people, some people want to talk about these things and then put mechanisms and guardrails in place um, and get people to, to to listen. It doesn't mean you're doing that instead of work. It's actually going to optimize your engagement and productivity in the work that you actually do. We work with an, a nonprofit organization in Manhattan called YVote, and they're an amazing organization that helps support civil discourse and civil education among high school students. And I'm so impressed by these teenagers because they will tackle any issue, anytime, respectfully, ask really smart questions, listen closely. And one of the things I often speak with the, the founder of the organization is what happens when these teenagers get into the workplace? And now they've been taught and they have all the skills to have these conversations in a productive way. And they get clamped down when they come to work. Like, how do we overcome that? Firms have to be really clear on how to have these conversations in the workplace with respect and tolerance. Um, you know, these are deeply personal, confounded on kind of religion or philosophy or country of origin. Um, and and so, so kind of being clear around like what the values are and whether that's in person, whether that's virtual, whether that's on social media or company social media. I mean, that's that's super important. Um, the, the next thing we've, we've got to do is we've got to, the biggest hope that we have is young people. We've got to encourage the enthusiasm and the vibrancy of young people to actually talk about these things in a non-polarizing way. Um, so, so talking about gun safety, talking about climate issues, climate is obviously very politicized, but talking about what that actually, what that actually means, how, how we all can take accountability of our carbon footprint. Um, talking about inequality, which is rising in this country and around the world, talking about polarization. Um, so, so it's, it's engaging young people to have those discussions. The last thing that we, we want to do is kind of create censorship in organizations, but we need to put guardrails on this because not everyone is, be, is, is comfortable with having discussions about topics that are deeply personal and not everyone's comfortable with listening to people. And giving people safe space when their opinions differ, but 
think we need that in our in our society and we need that in our businesses right now. That's right. That's right. So when we were chatting earlier, I've mentioned to you the topic of our podcast and the title of our podcast is Bold Steps and Misses. And when I say that to you in the context of everything that we've spoken about so far, what does that bring up for you? It, it becomes very personal in that um, if you if you don't kind of take an authentic voice and if you don't step in and take kind of bold leadership moves, we'll never make progress in business and society. And so um, what, I, what I think immediately around is in, in my position right now, I'm able to coach and develop and mentor lots of people, lots of people kind of from diverse areas. And so making sure that you actually, and I've kind of, I'm very proud that I've, that I've done this, you know, in the last probably five to 10 years of my career, is taking a risk on people, bringing people, junior level people to meetings with senior executives, coaching them, giving those them the opportunities, putting them in stretch roles. Um, if you're going to publish something, making sure that you have a co-author or two that are, you know, different and more junior levels and, and a different perspective, getting people to share the stage with you when you're kind of speaking at conferences, um, dragging people to meetings, you know, serendipitously when you're in the office, because it's a great experience when you go out and kind of interact with clients or, or take them to lunch. So I think just the more that, that we can actually think about courageous leadership, and it's about giving other people a platform and giving people stretch roles, because I know I wouldn't be in the position I'm in if if I didn't get putting stretch roles by some amazing managers and leaders that I've worked with over the years. It's so nice to hear about how you're paying it forward for that next generation. And I have a question for you around this concept of courageous leadership. Beyond what you just spoke about now, what are some of the hallmarks of courageous leadership that I could be thinking about for myself? So, so one of the areas is, is, is pushing yourself to actually bring a different perspective in meetings. So if you're sitting with your company right now and you're, you're staring at kind of economic downturns and rising inflation and, and people are making decisions about how do we cut costs? How do we think about margins? How do we think about pricing pressure? Trying to bring a different perspective that. So, so, and it could be as simple as, are we breaking trust with our stakeholders? What are we going to do around our decisions, whether it's raising prices for customers, whether it's making a difficult decision around employee layoffs, whether it's um, asking people to work compressed schedules, um, what, whatever, it, whatever it may be, not making that investment in technology that's really going to engage people and make the employee experience much better. Ask if that's actually breaking trust, because business cycles come and go. We've all lived through you know, a number of economic downturns, there is going to be an upside. And and again, potentially this one becomes more mild than, say, the financial crisis. But but on the other side of this, there's going to be a set of customers, there's going to be a set of investors, there's going to be employees, candidates, suppliers you work with. And we've seen from our research and the research that's gone on from years is you make those decisions, you can break trust with your stakeholders in minutes. And people have very, very long memories. I still remember when I worked for a professional services firm when I first came to the U.S. in the early 2000s, and their way to deal with cost reduction was a 7% salary cut across the board. And 7% for a relatively junior guy was was pretty regressive compared to 7% for kind of someone else who was kind of more seasoned in their career. And obviously, that's I still remember that, you know, some 25 years later. So um, people have long memories around this and thinking about, and that's just one example, 
to say, can you think about trust? But but making sure that you are bringing that lens and that you're pushing your leaders, your senior leaders to say, have you thought about this from a different perspective? When I hear you talk about this and it's very high, it can, it can be very high stakes and what holds people back from being courageous or being bold oftentimes is the, that fear, that fear of failure. And so I'm going to wrap up with a final question that is a personal question. And my question to you is this, what's one of the biggest mistakes you've made in your career and what was the outcome? Uh, one of the biggest mistakes I've made is expecting, um, ex- raising the expectations and thinking that everybody can work, you know, at a high performance level, a high quality level, um, high endurance level, and kind of not listening enough to to team members. So when I moved from, you know, one firm to another, and I inherited a, a new team, I probably pushed them too hard in terms of expectations. Um, and we got to a good state only when I actually got some really good feedback from different people in terms of there's a different way that we can like we can slow down to speed up. We can engage more around, you know, certain people don't have, you know, deeper business acumen. Let's let's work on that. Certain people kind of don't can't work the schedules, et cetera. Let's work on, you know, how we can have more flexibility. But it it really started with an expectations mismatch um, and the fact that, you know, I needed to get, you know, a, a council of different people to give me pretty direct feedback. And I had to, you know, I personally addressed it and called up some individuals and still work with some of those individuals today. Some of them are in different firms now and we're still friends. But I think these are really important moments. And the lesson learned there is be really carrying your expectations, but have people around you that are going to give you honest feedback and and listen to it and address what you think is is appropriate. And be open to that. It sounds like you were really open to it, which made all the difference. Yeah, I mean, these are difficult messages. No one likes to hear them at the time. And we're, it's only human that we are defensive. Not everybody likes um, negative or constructive feedback. But if we don't, you know, it's and it's easier to talk about it once, you know, a number of years have passed. But I think it's really important to get feedback. Anyone who's in any relationship knows that, you know, feedback is really important and work is a, a set of relationships. Well, Bushan, I know you you know that I would love to talk to you forever, but I think we're at time. Thank you for sharing your stories with me um, and with everyone listening. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe, rate and review, tell your friends about us, or let us know on social media. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. 